0: Oh, Father, thank you for being our God, sovereign and mighty and holy and everything, Lord. And I pray that your words would speak loudly. I pray that the people in this room would understand my heart. They'd understand my soul. They'd understand your word. And I pray that there will be change in our world. pray that there will be no more hate. And I pray that love will prevail. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to do the parable of the Good Samaritan today. If you turn your Bibles to Luke 10, verses 25 through 37, and while you do, I want you to really listen carefully as I provide the intro to this sermon. You see, I saw this article on CNN, and it was Black pastors calling out white pastors to speak on the racial injustice that we see in this world today. And I have to admit, since COVID-19 and all the riots and the protests, I've been looking at news articles more often than I have. And I used to be extremely political. I was freedom of speech, freedom of religion, a staunch Republican, gun-toting. Loved it. Pro-life, minimal taxes, military-supporting, Rush, Limbaugh, Sean Hannity, listening, conservative. And as I've grown, I have to tell you, that's maybe softened a little bit. I I still believe in the right to bear arms. I still vote Republican, but only when my conscience allows it. And I will never shy away from being pro-life, but I ask that, that people and women that have had abortions, that the church puts their arms around them and comforts them. I still hate taxes. <laughs> but I can tell you that it doesn't control my emotions anymore. It doesn't control them. And I don't listen to Rush Limbaugh, and I don't watch Fox News because it distracts my focus away from what God wants me to be the plan that God has for my life. And I understand some of you are able to do it, but I'm not. But lately, I don't know about you, I've been falling back into this trap of of looking at news from both sides of the arguments and falling into these debates. And you may look at me and say, Zach, what does this have to do with the Good Samaritan? And I say, the Good Samaritan. Is Jesus defining who our neighbor is? And I look out at us and I say that our constitution allows us to speak our minds and to have our own beliefs. But I'm telling you right now that it's wrong for any person or any group of people to use fear, use slander to orchestrate change in this world. As Christians, we must never stray away from the biblical morals found in this book, no matter what the end looks like. And I'm telling you today that I may frustrate some of you. But I promise, I promise that I will not be politically correct and I will not apologize for my words. I also promise that you will walk away from here knowing exactly how I feel. And more importantly, knowing exactly the way I feel this Bible tells us to handle this racial injustice that we're seeing today. When we're done, I hope you understand who our neighbor is, not because of my words, but because of what the Bible has to say. And we're going to read this entire text, and I don't know about you, but it's like a, a childhood story. I'm so familiar with it. I, I go back in time and I see these, these firefighters rushing into this nine, to the building, the towers on 9 11. I think of Brian Gross as he goes into the river to save a young lady. And loses his very life. I often think of men and women risking their life for somebody else. I think of people that have given their lives for the betterment of others. But today, today as we read this story, I want you to think about it in terms of the person that you hate the most. Think about it in terms of Osama bin Laden being the one that cares for you while you're on the side of the road. Now, for me, it'd be like a Chiefs fan or a Raiders fan, maybe a Dodgers fan. I don't know, but all joking aside, I mean, maybe you hate black people. Maybe you hate Hispanic people, white people, poor people, rich people, old people, young people, police, criminals, good Samaritans, or people who are just indifferent. Maybe you hate Christians, Muslims, Buddhists, Jews, atheists. Maybe you hate yourself. I promise you that this message today is about not hating. As Christ followers. We are called to live a life up here. A Christ above all this hate. A life above all this hate. Christ and the Holy Spirit has empowered us to act in this way. Without Him, it is impossible. And I promise you, in no way do I want to be political. I hate politics. I so much just want to be biblical and honor what is morally Right. So now that I've ruined your childhood story, let's go. In a land far, far away, starting in Luke 10, 25 through 37, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to them, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him, and beat him, and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wombs, and he poured oil and wine. And he set on, him animal, on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took him out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the man had no choice. He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Likewise. If we're going to unpack this text, if we're going to discover this text, we must ask three questions. What is the meaning of life and how does it pertain to eternal life? Number two, why is Jesus supposedly proclaiming works based redemption right here? And number three, who is our neighbor? First question What is the meaning of life and how does it pertain to eternal life? You see, man has been chasing this question forever, and I believe it's because God He put this desire on our hearts. We could be like every other animal; we could be instinctual. But God, He made us different than the animals. Each and one of us, each and every one of us is unique, but at the same time, the same because we're made in the image of God. I mean, God He breathed the ruah. Of life into us. God breathed the spirit of life into us. Everything else he created by speaking but us. He created by breathing into our very nostrils. Our soul is is yearning to be with the one who breathed life into us. I mean, this is why I feel it's so different when we come to a saving grace, when we believe in Jesus Christ, we have unlocked the secrets to eternal life. And this lawyer here, this lawyer here has not quite discovered the truth. Verse 25, and behold, the lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, and we have to stop there. Can't go any further. Jesus is talking to this people. Right after this, He just sent 72 people to go out and proclaim the gospel. And they're coming back. They're returning to Him. And undoubtedly, people are coming with Him. They want to know what is going on. They want to know where this power, this healing, this healing is coming from. All of them are intrigued. And and Jesus starts to talk. And He says in verse 21 of Luke chapter 10, That his words, Jesus' words, are are hidden from the wise. And you know this lawyer considers himself wise. And when we think of a lawyer, we think of somebody that's chasing ambulances, somebody that's a defense lawyer or a, a prosecutor. You know, really just the people that are the most argumentative in the entire world. And this guy's similar, but not exactly You see, a lawyer at this time is somebody who studies the law, the books of Moses. And where is he similar? We must understand that this is a theocracy. This Jewish scripture is their laws. And they do some of the same things. They've added to it, they've convoluted it with these layers and layers of laws on top of it. But as we talk today about this this lawyer, I want us to think more in terms of him being a teacher. An educated person, maybe an elitist. And we know that this this person must have been a pharisaical scribe because of this next statement in the end of verse 25. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And we must stop there for just a second and understand that there's different sects, different denominations. A couple of those were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. A Sadducee believed that there was no eternal life. But a Pharisee believed in the afterlife. And he says one thing that's very interesting here. He says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And all of us, every one of us has asked this question before. We've searched it out. But I'm telling you, when we understand it, our faith, it grows. And we start to ask the question, how do I help somebody else understand what is eternal life and and how we inherit it? You see, our faith as Christians shifts focus from ourselves to others. So this man, he's asking Jesus, what can I do? This man who who studies the law, he probably has it memorized. And yet at the same time, he does not understand the correlation between a person's relationship to God and their actions toward other people. I love what Galatians 5, 14-15 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then it goes on to say, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. I look out at this world, and I just see consuming of one another right now. But not Paul. Paul saying, Do you love your neighbor? And if you don't, How are we obedient to the law? Man, I look out and it scares me. And I just see devouring everywhere. It's no longer like President JFK, a Democrat, who he said, what can we do for our country? But it's shifted to what can others do for us? Man, this lawyer should be getting it by now. He understands the scripture, but he's not quite there Verse 26, he said to him, what is written on the law? Jesus says this, how do you read it? Jesus is such a master apologetic. Man, he asks questions back. He's not saying, what do you think? He's saying, what does the Bible say about it? And this Pharisee, this Pharisee, he gives the Christian answer. He he turns to Leviticus 19.18. The Shema in Deuteronomy 6.5. Jesus himself says these very things in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. And this man, he gives the answer that we would think is from the heart, the the summary of the entire book of the law. What an intelligent man. Verse 27, and he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love your neighbor. I say yay, and I say amen. Right? That is our faith in a nutshell. But wait. Right? Is this not a Pharisee? Should he not be saying that we have to obey all the commandments, that we should have to wash the right amount of times, that we should have to sacrifice the right amount of times? But but he gives the faith answer. It's about loving God with everything we have. Everything that we have. Which leads us to this second question. Why is Jesus supposedly proclaiming works based redemption? And here to tell you that our redemption is based on works. They're just not our works, they're the works of Jesus. And I love Jesus' answer. In verse 28, he said to them, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. And on the surface, it seems like Jesus is agreeing with him in principle. He really is. But I think it's a little bit more like this. Yeah? You're right. Let me know how that goes. Next time you lose your job, you fight with your wives, you have a hattie in your life. Next time God does not fix everything when you want it fixed. Let me know how that goes when the greenie takes your camping spot at Glendo. Or you're in a hurry and that train is coming. What about your mouth? Does it honor God? How about your eyes? Do they honor God? Jesus is like, yeah, you got it right. That plan works perfect if you're Jesus. Sorry. And then he looks at him. He says, you're lying to yourself. You're lying to yourself. You think you're going to be able to live up to this standard. I'm telling you today that eternity is about Jesus and giving Him glory. It's not about us first going to heaven. It's about humbling ourselves and understanding the imperfection only made perfect in an all-loving Jesus. In a perfect Jesus. The meaning of life is Jesus. And through Him, we have purpose. And through Him, we have eternal life. It's about God, and it's about helping others. But I ask us, is our focus on our own abilities or the unique abilities of Jesus Christ? Christ, He lived, verse 27, perfectly. And we do not. Jesus' life is a perfect example of works. Which leads us to this third question, the most important question in this particular parable. Who is our neighbor? Luke 29, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? I mean, basically he's saying, I know what the Bible says. I know what the scripture says, but what is my responsibility? Are there limits to who my neighbor is? I mean, is my neighbor my boss who screams at me over and over again? Is my neighbor my ex-wife, the IRS, the Democrat, or the Republican Party? What about my crazy Uncle Ted who smokes too many cigarettes and drinks too many beers? What about my mom who ran off or my dad who was non-existent? What about the man who abused me or the woman who cheated on me? What about the childhood friend who made fun of you because you had the same size head that you have now when you're in seventh grade? That one's just hypothetical. <laughs> but all joking aside, what about Muslims, atheists, the Hispanic, or a black person? Who is our neighbor? And that's what it's asking us. Who is our neighbor? And what does Jesus say? And we have to understand that Jesus is not talking about some really awesome guy that that loves Jesus and give the shirt off his back that everybody loves. We also have to understand that, that Jesus is talking to a Jewish audience. Let's look at verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Did you know that Jerusalem to Jericho is 17 miles and there's a 3,000 foot elevation difference going down? And at that time, there's caves and hideouts and robbers can hide anywhere. Josephus, the great historian, said that, that they had to carry weapons just to protect themselves on this road. None of us would have wanted to travel this road during the day and especially not at night. And I ask us before we start to judge this priest and this this Levite, when's the last time you helped somebody on the side of the road? Man, these men are afraid. Theologians talk about them not wanting to be ceremonially unclean, and I can buy it maybe. But I don't see that as a great excuse, especially in a day of cell phones. Oh, wait, that's me. That's my excuse. I get it, we live in a different world, but I, but I think that we should evaluate how we help people. I'm here to tell you that some of the greatest conversations that I've ever had are with complete strangers in my car. And I'm not condoning picking up hitchhikers, that's not what I'm saying, especially with all the kids in here. But men and, and women that I've got to go with and help, whatever it may be, and just talk about Jesus with them as we drive from Glen Rock or ride or wherever it may be as I'm helping somebody. I think we need to evaluate how we share the love of Jesus with everybody. You see, these men, I believe, are consumed with fear is why they don't stop. And fear, especially today, is so powerful. Today I feel like we're filled with it. I feel that racism is a mixture of pride and jealousy and fear and hatred and ignorance all wrapped together in different percentages of each of us. Let's look at verse 31 through 32. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. And I don't know about you, but I do it often. I pretend like I don't see somebody, so I don't have to face the words that they may speak to me or the the ramifications of what they might have to say. I mean, just the other day on Wednesday, I'm driving down, and I see a, a Girl Scout cookie stand. And I don't have any money on me, and I don't have time to stop, right? So I'm just staring forward, and I'm trying not to look. I don't want them to see that I see them. And, and I got my daughter next to me going, Dad, Dad, there's Girl Scout cookies. Dad, you know, she's pointing at me, and I'm like, hey, stop. I don't have any money. Stop. I know that's light. I know that's just a an easy way, an easy example. But it becomes so much deeper. So much deeper. You see, it's easier. It's easier to pretend like we do not see them to actually address the issues that we see happening right now in our world. And I don't have to address this issue today. Right? We live in a place that I don't have to address this issue and nobody would say a thing. But it's so important. It's so important that we speak truth. And, and what does the Bible say? I'm not talking about the, the crazy liberals in the house who dressed up in, in this African cloth. Man, it's just for show. We need people in America that actually speak truth, that actually speak common sense. People that are not driven by fear, but by truth. And the truth is what matters. And the truth is that this priest and this Levite should have helped their brother, they should have stopped. And we, as Christians, we have an obligation to stop and to help all people. I'm not saying that we get rid of color or race, but to love and embrace the way that God has made us. And the color of our skin makes us so unique. Martin Luther King, he never said that the color did not matter. He just said that we should not be judged by our color. And I can promise you that Jesus will not judge us by our color. He will not judge us by our ability to obey the law, but the quality of our heart and who is in it. Is our heart filled with Jesus? And if our heart is filled with Jesus, then we should help others. As we read this next part in verse 33, you might as well substitute the words black man here in front of an audience of a white neo-Nazi supremacist. The Jews absolutely hated Samaritans. 33, but a Samaritan, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. When he saw him, he had compassion. Compassion. Can you imagine a, a black man helping a white supremacist? Sadly, I, I can imagine that a lot easier than I can imagine the roles being reversed. Now I look out, and I know plenty of white people who would help a black man in need, in need that is for sure. But I really, I really want us to understand the significance of what Jesus is trying to say here. These Jewish people, they were pretty important They're God's chosen people and these Samaritans, these Jewish people were mixed with Assyrian blood and the Jews hated them. They're mixed with Assyrian blood and the Jews hated them. I'm telling you right now that a a good Samaritan is not the title that the Jews would give this story. No Jew is, is giving this and talking about a good Samaritan, but that is exactly what he is. That is exactly what this man is. The courage that it took for this man to help this Jew is amazing. This people group, a hated people group, coming to the rescue. Let's look at verse 34. He went to him and he bound up his wounds pouring oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn where he took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. He couldn't even mention the name Samaritan. The one who showed him mercy was the Samaritan. And this lawyer right now, he wants us to to recognize, he wants Jesus to recognize that there's another group, a non-neighbor, and Jesus does the exact opposite. He will do no such thing. Jesus says, if your greatest enemy is your neighbor, then everyone, everyone is your neighbor. We tend to think as as Jesus followers that we can love Jesus but but hate some people that disagree with us. And I'm telling you that we have to check that attitude at the door when we surrender to Jesus. I don't care if it's your greatest rivalry in baseball, your greatest competition in work. Maybe it's an ex-spouse. Maybe it's the other side of this political debate. Man, there is no room. There is no room for hate of individuals in this book. There is a righteous hate for sin, but not the person. We're not allowed to hate policemen if we are part of Black Lives Matter. We are not allowed also to hate people that are rioting. And we can hate the sin, we can hate the destruction, but we are obligated as Christians to continually take the moral high road in everything that we do. We are called to continually display our faith, not only to ourselves but to others. And some of you may be looking at me and you say, well, Jesus flipped tables in the temple. And I say, fair. Man, I've been struggling with this over and over again. How does this work in this story? How does this work with what's going on with these riots and things that are happening right now? And then yesterday, it just hit me. You see, I am judging Jesus. I am judging Jesus' perfection against my standards when I should be judging Jesus' perfection by God's standards. None of us are the agents of vengeance or justice. Jesus is perfectly capable of passing judgment on those who are doing wrong, and it is not a sin. Jesus is allowed to pass judgment because he is God, and we are not. James 2, 8-9. through 9, If you really fulfill the law according to Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Let me read that again. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Do you show partiality? Right? Morals are consistent in all situations. Hatred and partiality are unacceptable every time. And I love what Martin Luther King once said, So I've tried to make it clear that it's wrong to use immoral means to attain moral ends. Now I must affirm that it is just as wrong or even more so to use moral means to preserve immoral ends. You see, in the same way that it is wrong for rioters to scare others and put fear into the hearts of people to supposedly bridge this racial divide in our country, it is also wrong for us to ever use this Bible to push racism in any way. And it's been done. In 1835, the Charleston Mercury paper basically said that both the Old and New Testament give slaveholders the right to own slaves. It says, it goes on, in the Old Testament, God and the patriarchs approve. And in the New Testament, they allowed it. They went on to say going against slavery is like going against God. They went on to say that, that slavery was necessary to control the sl- sinful black race. They used this Bible to determine this stuff. And I'm sorry, but this Bible, this Bible does not say anything of sorts. And I am not okay to use morally to preserve immorality. Immora- something, yes. Immorality. Immorality to preserve morality. Morality must be based in the Word of God and the truth that's found in the Bible. From the very beginning, we didn't even get past the first page. In Genesis 1, God created all mankind in His image. Acts 17, 24-27 is very clear. That they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward Him and find Him. I love the end, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. Let me in on. It. let me let you in on a little hermeneutical nuance. You see when God says all and everything, God means all and everything. So how does this apply to us as Christians? This means that as Christians, we do not get to hate Colin Kaepernick for kneeling because of his convictions. But also at the same time, it means that we do not get to hate Drew Brees for standing because of his convictions. You see, my convictions, I would never kneel to the flag. So many people lost their life defending it. But at the same time, it's so wrong for us to deny racism To deny hatred in this world is just ignorant. And we are blessed. We are blessed to live in the greatest country ever. And we have the right. We have the right to peacefully protest. And I'm telling you right now that it is morally acceptable. How often did Jesus fully disagree with the leaders of the Jewish people? And Jesus was not a pacifist. He boldly proclaimed what was right. It is not right for policemen to abuse their powers. In the same way, it is not right for us to degrade the very policemen that protect us for so little compensation, for nothing basically. And I ask us as Christians, I say we cannot remain silent. While at the same time, we cannot stand behind this political correctness we must be bold in our faith and proclaim love for all people. And I'm talking about all people. I'm not misunderstanding the Black Lives Movement. I'm telling you, I can stand side by side with anybody who wants to end racism in this world. But I believe, I believe that Jesus is the only solution. Jesus is the greatest equalizer in the history of mankind, and it's not even close. And this Bible, when it's rightly interpreted, displays the grace of Christ for all people. What I'm about to ask you is difficult. I ask us, how do we show compassion for the family of George Floyd and at the same time show compassion for Derek Chauvin and his family? I mean, it's easy to show compassion for those that have been wronged, but as Christians, we're called to show compassion for those who have done the wrong also. True neighbors, from a biblical standpoint, is everyone that we come in contact with. And how hard is that? Everyone that we come in contact with. I'm here to tell you that it is absolutely impossible It is impossible without the love and grace we receive from Jesus Christ. And our Bible tells us that our faith is seen in our ability to love others. And we don't have to look past our own existence to see failure and to humble ourselves and to worship the God of unlimited grace. Man, there is no limit on who our neighbor is. There is no limit on our love because of Jesus. I love what Martin Luther King said. He said, we must discover the power of love. The power, the redemptive power of love. And when we discover that, we will be able to make this old world a new world. And white people must love white people. Black people must love black people. White people must love black people. And black people must love white people. All people working together to love all people. If we're ever going to see a change in this world. And as Christians, we should care. Not about the color of their skins, but whether or not people have food on their table, whether or not people are treated fairly, whether or not people have a job, whether or not people have a safe place to live, whether or not people have Jesus Christ in their hearts. Man, true change. It happens when we dive deep down into the depths of our soul and we examine this hatred and we succumb to the grace that Jesus provides Man, Jesus calls us to have compassion. The Samaritan had compassion. We are to have compassion for all people. And we are to love them even when it seems impossible. Even when it seems impossible. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much that you don't see you don't see me by by the outward appearance, but you see me by what's in my heart and I pray that you would supernaturally empower this nation to see people by what's in their hearts and to not hate anyone but to love people the way your son loved us when he died on that cross so many years ago. Lord, help us to love others the way you do. Guide us, Lord. We need all the help we can get. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.